This is the Orange Podcast. Conversations with Orange City Council for the local community. This is Alan Reader. Thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Orange Podcast. Some more interesting ideas and stories coming to you this week about your local community. This week, we'll find out how Orange City Council has planted 18,000 trees. We'll learn why the council wants to pay bands to play music in your local CBD venue. And we'll learn some tips to help you go cold turkey in plastic-free July. But first up on the show today, it turns out Orange residents are spending more than $300 million a year in online shopping. How many of those dollars are being spent locally? You'd think click and collect would work really well for a business with a local shopfront. And now a council-sponsored scheme has begun to help businesses get started online. Samara Pearson from local firm Ready Marketing is helping businesses get started. Look, we're in the day and age now where if you can't be found online and you can't be found through a Google search, people will go elsewhere. They're just going to find other businesses that are right at top of mind and top of sight. So how many businesses in the Central Business District have taken up um, council on this offer? There are over 20 businesses at the moment. Uh, currently, our business, Ready Marketing, are working on 14 of those, which is absolutely fantastic. I'm really surprised. They're all across different industries, retail, hospitality, beauty. Uh, it's fantastic to see the opportunity that these businesses are getting, and I'm really quite excited to work with them. So what, um, well, tell me a little bit about the process um, that you're going through with the businesses to get them up online. Sure. Well, the process we're working through is a four to five page website for each business, uh, which includes a little bit of information, homepage, contact page, and a little bit of information about themselves, their products, their services, and their teams. Uh, it allows them a digital presence online with a website, but they've also got the full Google integration that comes with each one of those sites as well. And to top it off, they've also been allowed the opportunity to have a content writer come in on our process and write about their businesses, which is fantastic for those who are just a little unsure or don't like to talk about themselves. And we've also got a contract photographer who's another local small business that we can support too, who's coming in and doing a full uh, photo shoot portfolio for those businesses too, which is not only fantastic for their websites, but their ongoing marketing, social media and uh, anything they want to use them for as well. So I think our spend map data um, showed that Orange people spend $318 million online in the 12 months to June. So will these websites have the option for people to also shop with these businesses online? That number is absolutely incredible. And yes, some of their businesses will take up that offer. So there are e-commerce stores available. Uh, some will and some won't, purely because some businesses don't sell online. Uh, some of those hospitality sort um, businesses that aren't selling online will have booking plugins or um, order online plugins integrated with their websites as well. So people can come along, book their appointment for their beauty salon or order their coffee on the way to work. 
So when do you think um, all of these websites will be up and running? Uh, so the project started uh, at the beginning of June and rolls out over the next couple of months until December. Uh, a general website takes anywhere between four to 12 weeks to build, depending on what's included. And we've got to work with the businesses who are also really busy at this time of year. Uh, but we're hoping to see the first one or two sites roll out before the beginning to the middle of August and then uh, two or three sites per month through the rest of the project. So tell me a bit about your business, Ready Marketing. How long have you been in operation and what sort of services do you provide? Sure. Ready Marketing, uh, we were actually called originally called Ad Loyalty and we started in Canoundra almost nine years ago. Uh, we moved into the Orange District, uh, into Orange ourselves uh, back in 2018. And in 2019, we had a name change to Ready Marketing. Uh, I've been with the business for almost four years now. Uh, and since being in Orange and being in the centre of town, we're in Summer Street. We've been able to provide so much more service to the local area. Uh, we have quite a wide uh, service area, right from Cowra, Warren, uh Blaney, Young, all of those sorts of places as well. Uh, and we are a full suite agency. So the joy of that is, is that not only are there myself and the team who does the strategic marketing, setting up, planning, budgeting side, but we've got social media creatives, graphic designer, web developer, content writer, uh, and we have some great relationships with our local photographer and the like that we can basically pull a whole project together for a business. So how did you get involved with this particular uh, part of our future city plan? Uh, in the case of this one, uh, it was put out to tender, so we were able to come in and tender for the process. Uh, we have had a great relationship with council in the past, working on some other larger projects like the Think Region, Think Orange Region campaign. Uh, so we have been very lucky to work in the past and uh, our tender was successful. Samara Pearson was talking with comms team member Liv Sargent. You're listening to the Orange Podcast. This week, Orange City Council had its regular meeting. The last couple of meetings before we go into caretaker mode, so we've got lots to get through. This week, to find out some more about what happened, Mayor Reg Kidd joins us. Reg, um, among the bits and pieces we went through, we've got some plans for extra music concerts. We were doing them in park in the park last time. But this time, as we start to do them, indoor venues. Why is that? Oh, look, uh, a couple of reasons. Uh, the cooler weather is number one. Uh, they were so popular, the future tunes in, in the park, and I attended all of them, actually. They were just fantastic, and the numbers built up. Uh, I think with the cooler weather, I think it's something that's uh, good for the community. It gives our local musos the opportunity to participate, and, and the feedback from them was just incredible. So we want to extend it, and we're looking at indoor venues uh, for that cooler weather. COVID's been very quiet for musos. What sort of, so giving some, some extra regular work will be good. What sort of venues do you think will put their hand up? Oh, look, I, I have no doubt you'll have, uh, you'll have places like your clubs, uh, the ex-services club. It's got to be CBD. Um, you know, close to the CBD. Yep. I think you'll find, look, there's the old uh, cinema down there that's not being used at the moment, mm. still owned, and there's some proposals for that. I think that'd be a good place to look. Some of them could be, uh, some of the hotels and motels around Orange got big function centres for, for weddings and so forth. I'm, I'm quite sure quite a few people come forward. And I was just thinking uh, when you made that comment, what about... Um, in what used to be uh, Grace Brothers or Myers up in Summer Street, in that big foyer area mm. going in. You've got all the shops on the right and left there. Mm. That is a big area, isn't it? Mm. 
the ball is now in the court of businesses. If they want to put their hand up, there's a expressions of interest form. They can let the council know they'd like to host a venue. Um, one of the most popular tourist attractions in the Orange area is Lake Canoblis. The council has now gone through a master planning process. Um, do you think that's a, a facility that could get need some extra work? Oh, look, I have no doubt. As you know, uh, I spent my younger years right next door to the lake. My grandparents had a, an orchard there and I learned to swim in the lake. I used to go over there boating. And looking at the uh, master plan and putting back a boat ship that uh, the the dragon boat ladies and men can actually use and uh, a lot of people like the sailing out there or just kayaking. I think uh, looking at extra toilet facilities, particularly uh, on the eastern side where the children's playground equipment is, and th- there's lots of opportunities of building extra walking tracks, which I think, uh, and, you know, Promoting it better, linking it into that walking track that comes all the way back to Gosling Creek, as an example. Uh, when my grandchildren are down here, that's a must out there. They do laps around there, and uh, if they do two laps around there, we might have a milkshake at the uh, canteen there. And uh, there's just so much to do. I, look, I have so many friends that just go out there f- for a walk early in the morning. It's just a beautiful spot. And can I just say that the linking this master plan up with the Scout Camp, where we're investing millions of dollars in doing that up as an educational resource, the, if you like, what used to be, well, still called the Earth Century, where the biking is, and there's a little track there for little people, you know, it's on the flat, linking that up. And then from there, linking that up into Mount Canobolis and the Pinnacle, there's just so many experiences that you can have out there. So I think it's... Uh, Look, there's, uh, it was great to have the feedback. Most of it very, very positive. Some of that feedback is a few worried neighbours. They're thinking if we want an extra bit of access through someone's property to a, to the top of the mountain. But the council made the decision it's going to be a passive approach. We're not going to actively seek to buy people up. If it comes on the market in 10, 20 years' time, we're saying now we're interested. Yeah, exactly, you know. And uh, look, I, I've seen sometimes in various uh, parts around Australia and particularly overseas, uh, when those ideas come up sometimes I can see people sort of reacting and objecting it's quite interesting once they start developing people want to be part of it I think it's like uh, what called the rail trails uh, in Europe how they started you know old railway lines and people being able to walk along or ride along those rail trails and going through people's properties there was always the fear of biosecurity with their animals and them sticky beaking and dobbing people in for this and that that never happened And, of course, there's people go from all over the world to go to England and walk on those rail trails. So who knows? It's a long-term planning exercise. This sort of a master plan document will inform budgets for two years, five years and 20 years. But, say, one of the ideas was for a a visitor's centre, a new one. That's a lot of dollars involved way up the track. But, say, there was a a world-class network of mountain bikes on Mount Canobolis. That would be a great place for a visitor's centre. Oh, look, and and the other thing... uh, looking at what's happening at the scout camp there now, you know, bringing school groups up, busloads of school kids, they can stay there in the bunkhouses, great showers, toilet facilities, right through to RV camping and tents, but linking them in across the visitor centre and talking about the geology of, of the mountain, an extinct volcano, if you like, and the pinnacles of plug. And then looking around how you get these incredible good volcanic soils, and that's why all these orchards are there, so you're going from geology to geography to history and you're combining it in and environmental studies, all that you can do there. And if you've got a, a visitor's information centre, stroke, 
Education Centre. It'll pay for itself in a few years. As part of the meeting, um, the, the lease of Emu's ground came up for discussion. They'd like to um, have a bit more land and, and we'll do a trade-off with some water. Yeah, look, uh, look, uh, that's a win-win for everybody, isn't it? If you look at uh, Emu's, like a lot of sporting clubs, they, they lease uh, from Orange City Council. But they put all the time and effort in as volunteers, and they do a great job. I mean, there's, uh, I think Emus were the first to have women's rugby, Western Mount. They were certainly the first to have a female president of the male-dominated rugby club, which was fantastic, and the first club to ban smoking, actually, which is quite interesting and so very progressive. And their 25-year lease come up, and they have to negotiate that with council. But they wanted some extra land because they want to build a, a new facility there, or a separate facility, I should say, uh, for all the younger and older women that are involved in everything from rugby to touch tag and all other sorts of events they have down there for women. So they've got separate change uh, rooms, including you know an area where you can change nappies. A lot of the younger mums have, have children. So uh, I think it's, a, again, a win-win uh, for the community and... Uh, a good club, look, similar things that happened with Waratahs and other sporting areas around Orange. And I think one of the things that really gives me a lot of pride is just to say that, uh, yeah, we've got great volunteers in this place and I'll tell you what, it saves the community a lot of money. Uh, last quick one. Um, one of the big projects that's been in the pipeline for a while is to build a conservatorium. Um, in, are you pleased that in the last couple of meetings before you go into caretaker mode, the council's finally got to adopt uh, the way forward for that and find the extra money. Look, I'm over the moon about that, Alan. As you would know, uh, part of the history going right right back to a very good friend of mine uh, uh, and a former mayor when we discussed this and buying what was a church building for a conservatorium of music. And uh, there was a bit of opposition to it. People didn't understand what it was. Well, just look at the topsy-turvy growth of that, right through to about 1,200-plus uh, students uh, attend that conservatorium, and it's truly a great regional resource. And look what's happened in those years. We've got some uh, young people from in, young adults now, um, you know, of doing medicine but are recognised worldwide for their ability, particularly with the violin, is one that comes to, to mind. Uh, and building that... Conservatorium Stroke Planetarium, down here the Civic Precinct, adjunct our regional museum, our art gallery, the library and the Civic Centre is just looking at 5, 10, 50, 50 years down the track and I'm over the moon that we've made the decision, the DA's been approved as you know, but the decision was made unanimously, I can get on and do it, we're a little bit short of the funding at the moment but we'll get it. The next council will get it, whether it's raised locally. The state government might be embarrassed to coming and want to be, you know, it's not all that far away from state elections. We've got money from the federal government. We've got what we can get from selling the present site. Well, I, I suspect the state government might think, oh, gee, we want to be part of this. Rich Kidd, thanks for your time today. Thank you, Alan. You're listening to The Orange Podcast. The month of July gets claimed by all sorts of uh, themes and organisations that wants to try and do things. There's uh, Dry July, there's other sorts of July. Another one is called Plastic Free July. Orange City Council is again involved in encouraging people to wonder if they could get by with less plastic. To find out some more, Joe Smith from Envirocon. Joe, why is it important that we learn to get by with less plastic? 
oh well you know plastic is one of those things that's is it's present in our everyday life it's on all of our packaging it's in a lot of our the things we buy those products that are made of plastic and it it doesn't decompose it's not a natural product it doesn't biodegrade um, like a lot of people might might think um, so it does actually persist in our environment for a long long time often ends up as litter and just filling up our landfills taking up a lot of space in landfill um, which is not a great thing either um, so whatever we can do to minimize our reliance on plastic and our use of plastics uh, is going to be a good thing for our environment and for ourselves. There's been some coverage recently of one of the ways in plastic hangs out in our environment is microparticles in the ocean that then come into our food chain. Yeah, absolutely. Microplastics, massive problem. Um, already, I think, what is it? I think the average human who eats seafood eats about a credit card's worth of plastic every month or something along those lines. Some huge um, amount of plastic, which you wouldn't think is possible, but um, there you go. It's already in everything we eat in, in the water and in the in the you know waterways all around the world. So anything we can do to cut down our plastic use and reduce those microplastics um, yeah, is, is a good thing. We, we're encouraged to recycle plastic. Surely that takes away the, the problem. Why, why, can't, uh, why, why can't we just assume that plastic's going to be recycled? Oh, I hope everyone would recycle as much plastic as possible. Um, unfortunately, there is a limit to how much we can recycle. Not all plastic types are recyclable. Uh, we can only recycle things like bottles, containers, jars, that sort of thing um, in plastic form. Whereas, you know, household plastics like baskets and stationery and ornaments, things like that, they're made of a different type of plastic, not recyclable in the yellow bin. Um, and especially your soft plastics, so those scrunchy plastics, anything you can scrunch in your hand, like plastic bags, wrappers, packets, um, you know, biscuit packets, rice and pasta packets, all of those kind of scrunchy soft plastics are not recyclable in your yellow bin. We have big problems with them ending up in recycling, can only actually be recycled in uh, Red Cycle, so it's a specialised recycling service. We take them back to the supermarket. Um, so yes, not everything can be recycled. That's a great uh, solution for some things, but unfortunately not for everything. So we just have to reduce our use of them and cut down on plastic before we even get it. Okay, so what if we just change the mindset and we tried to encourage people to pretend there was no plastic recycling that would hopefully change their behavior in, in what they're buying in the supermarket. Yeah, and that's exactly what Plastic Fragile is all about, changing our mindset, finding alternatives to plastic. So there's plenty out there. A lot of things have some really great alternatives available. Things like, so your shampoo bottle and conditioner bottles, switching them for maybe a dry shampoo um, bar. So it comes a shampoo bar or a conditioner bar um, and using that instead of your plastic bottle. There's already one less item of plastic in your household. Uh, things like toothpaste, you can make your own toothpaste, make your own deodorant. There's lots of cool bathroom swaps that you can do. Uh, things in the kitchen and, and when you're shopping as well, reducing that plastic packaging, saying no to those produce bags, you know, the plastic bags you get for your fruit and veg, bring your own bags or just reuse the ones you already have even, that's totally fine too. So just little little small changes we can make in our day-to-day lives will make a big difference overall. My, I recently discovered my butcher will let me take my own Chinese food containers to my neighbourhood butchery when I'm getting my half dozen sausages on a Saturday morning. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, a lot of places do. We're really lucky in Orange to have quite a few um, food producers who do let us bring our own containers. We've got Scoop, we've got Organic Grocer and Co. We've got a bunch of different shops around the place which encourage bulk buying and, and reducing packaging. So definitely rely on those in July and maybe into the future as well if you can stick those habits for longer. Okay, so if I'm keen and I want to start learning how to live a plastic-free July... Um, 
I'll need to learn some new skills, some other ways of looking at the world. You're looking at a, running a workshop that's already uh, very popular. Yes, we are running a workshop. Um, it's a sustainability workshop based on um, swapping out cling wrap. So we're ex- exchanging cling wrap for beeswax wrap. So everyone will learn how to make a beeswax wrap. Um, if you haven't heard of these, they're basically just a square of fabric and coated in a beeswax resin mix. Um, and you can stick it on bowls and plates and swap out your glad wrap. Um, so we'll be learning how to make one of those. You can take it home. Um, the workshop is, uh, I think, full at this stage, but we will be running more during the year. So don't panic if you've missed out. There'll be more happening later on. That's something that people can probably find some instructions on YouTube about. Oh, definitely. Try try doing it yourself at home. Have a go. Um, or even just, you know, find alternatives like Tupperware, you know, reusable plastics that you can wash and, and reuse rather than relying on glide wrap as well. As part of the campaign, you're also running some competitions. Yes, we have a social media competition running this year. Um, so if you have a, a photo or a video of yourself, you know, cutting down on plastic or showing some alternatives, some way you've participated in Plastic Fridge Live, we'd love to see it. Um, so post your photo, make it public, um, or your video, make it public, and don't forget to use the has- hashtag, uh, hashtag PFJOrange2021, so Plastic Fridge Live Orange 2021. And Council will have a look out at all the different pictures and all the different videos, um, and we'll choose a few winners at the end of the month to go in the draw to win a voucher. People are already doing interesting things, so it'll be interesting to see how people share in the local area. Definitely. Way Looking to forward to it. Tremendous. Hope you have a very plastic free July, Joe. <laughs> Thank you. I think it's easier than cutting out the booze. <laughs> You're listening to the Orange Podcast. From time to time, Orange City Council gets involved by supporting all sorts of worthy causes. Sometimes we turn our streetlights pink for for Mr McGrath and his uh, Breast Cancer Foundation work. Other times uh, we get asked to paint our trees blue. Uh, according to a meeting, a council meeting this week, um, that's exactly what's going to happen. To find out some more, our acting CEO, Mark Hodges. Mark, why are we contemplating painting some dead trees blue? It's a worthy cause, isn't it? Oh, it certainly is, Alan. Um, the Orange Regional Suicide Prevention Network, um, through Councillor Maletto, came to us and said, could we do something which relates around the blue, um, blue trees, uh, and blue seats through the city um, that might help people just remind them to, to have the difficult conversation with people and teach them how to, um, show them where they can go and get more information on it. So um, we did resolve, or council resolved, to put uh, identify two trees in the in the council area that could be painted blue. So this started actually out of a um, um, over in Western Australia. There's a young fellow. Um, he um, he painted one of his dad's trees blue in, on the farm he was on. Unfortunately, he um, later on um, um, lost his life to to suicide. And um, but his best friend saw that blue tree and went, "That's an interesting thing." So if we can bring that through the community maybe people will start to talk about it. It's a permission factor, isn't it? If you're driving along in the car with someone, the bloke next to you says, why is that tree blue? Well, that sounds like a start of a conversation. Oh, it certainly does. And we uh, council also resolved to identify or, or install 15 new um, uh, benches, park benches that uh, can be blue as well, also to start that conversation. Sitting there on the bench going, oh, I wonder why this th- why this bench is blue. Um, scan, scan the QR code, get told about how to ask people conversations, how to have the conversation, where can people get help. Another item on the agenda at Tuesday night's council meeting, um, Orange 360 has been working 
uh, been delivering tourism-related services for the three neighbouring councils, and us has been included for a while now. Um, we're also now moving towards a destination marketing plan. Does that, uh, is that part of the long-term planning that helps us work out what to do with tourism? Yeah, it's certainly important, and, and important in this busy time. Um, our, our tourism has just boomed lately um, because of COVID and restrictions on travel. So really important to get strategic. How do we want to do it into the future? Mm-hmm. Who do we want to be? Do we want to be a Byron Bay or something on our own? So um, that's why it's good to sit back, go uh, plan out what we want to do and, and work out what budget we need to implement that. And, and set some goals. Sometimes it's important to, to, it's good if people just come here. Okay, how would we measure that? How would we know? Um, does a destination marketing plan set some goals that, that puts some markers out that we can measure? Account, it's a bit of accountability, I suppose. Certainly spot on. That's exactly what it is. And it's across the region. So the, that's the uh, Cabon, uh, Blaney and Orange areas. So um, we all work together on that one. So it's a nice one. From time to time, Mark, I'm not sure why, Orange Council cops a bit of flack for cutting down trees. Um, but we also planned a few. There was a report this week that talked about a community engagement program that's part of our environmental services wing, if you like. How many trees is that group planted? Oh, this is a fascinating project. Really good report, just for Council's information, just to bring out what we actually do. Um, since 2014... Um, we've been doing a number of different tree planting days, engagement strategies with um, with the communities around the place. So if people back onto wetlands and creek systems, they've often got uh, flyers from us. Uh, we have staff and consultants that come up and engage with them and organise those planting days. So since that time, we've planted with those community groups over 18,500 plants. That's an amazing number. Mm-hmm. So through our uh, creeks, uh, wetlands, just uh, it's and and we've also engaged with over four thousand members of the community, so it's such a good news story that one. I really love that. Love seeing that report. Mark, who who actually does this work? I'm told there's a, a friendly gentleman by the name of Bill Josh. That if he came and knocked on your door and said, you know, you live next to a wetland, you want to, you and your kids want to come and plant trees with us on Saturday, you'd probably say yes. Oh, he's, tell he's, me about Bill Josh. He's a fantastic fellow, motivated, comes to town. He even digs the holes for people. So. When people get a pamphlet in their mail that says, come out and have a, a, a tree planting day, the hole's already there. He'll give you the few plants, go around, find those holes, put them in really easy, put a bit of mulch around them, and it's a great day. And he often puts on a barbecue with it as well. So um, I've certainly uh, um, had my son attend some of those, and he loves sitting there cooking the barbecue, so there's jobs for everyone. There's all sorts of things that would stop a tree growing. It might be climate, it might be some other mishap. But I reckon if um, I was involved in planting that tree over near my back fence, it's probably got a much better chance of making it to maturity. Oh, it, it does, and it's, it's a great thing to watch. I've been watching it around uh, Ploughman's Creek over near where I live. Um, uh, as a family, we go down there walking a fair bit, and um, it's really nice to sit back and look at the different types of trees and trying to pick their age. A surprising if the tree's in the good spot, being planted well, how quickly it'll grow. Um, so it's and it, uh, it has to add value. It's certainly much nicer walking down through these paths that we've constructed when you're seeing these nice native trees and grasses and shrubs growing up through them. Orange City Council planting 18,000 trees through this thing. Mark Colleges, thanks for your time today. Great to have a chat. See you, Alan. And thanks for joining us for the show this week. Remember, you can download this show from the Orange City Council website or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, for the Orange Podcast, this is Alan Reader. Bye for now.